Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover Daniel Bryan's triumphant first WWE Championship win. It's SummerSlam 2013. Cue of all the WWE Champions there have ever been. Was Danielson the most unlikely? I think you could make an argument for Bob Backlund in 1994, but aside from that, yeah, <laughs> that's a good. Definitely- that's a good one. It's yeah, definitely the good old Bob Backlund. Yeah, but Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson becoming the WWE champion is pretty wild. Even a year before this, I think you couldn't have convinced me he was ever going to be champion. Once they had put the world title on him and then taken it off him in the most humiliating fashion possible, definitely seemed like those days were over for him. It's just. His story is so fascinating as a guy who comes in hugely heralded, but with no personality. And they're already burying him on commentary and stuff right from the beginning because he represents this avatar of independent wrestling. And then he like slowly develops a personality and he slowly they put him in storylines and they all get over more than they're supposed to. But then they take the title away from him and it looks like he's going nowhere. And they put him in this no this nothing tag team with Kane. But then it explodes into mega popularity. Yeah. And then suddenly we're here. It's worth pointing out this version of Daniel Bryan bears no resemblance to the one that debuted in WWE. He has changed everything about him. Like he's grown tear out. He's grown a beard. He's gotten different gear. He's gotten a different, much more aggressive personality changes wrestling style he's got a new entrance everything is different about him now and like that's how it's supposed to be you get called up to the main roster and then it takes a couple years to get to where you're supposed to go as you develop what it is about you that's actually going to work which is why when they debut these people and immediately throw them into the main event it never actually works because they're not ready yet (laughs) Even this guy, who had been at the tippy top everywhere he had been all the way up until WWE, wasn't ready until five years in. The version, the version that came into WWE with the buzz cut and the gross robe. Yeah, that's at best an intercontinental champion and not a good one. It's funny because I think when he came to WWE, his expectation was probably like, well... I'll probably be like Ricky Steamboat level, and that's fine. I'm just doing this to get some consistent money and job security and such. I don't think he ever expected he was going to turn into, like, the the child of Dynamite Kid and Kenta and Bruiser Brody and become the world champion. Well, he said at some point they gave everybody on the roster personality tests, and he had, like— the personality that made the least sense to be a successful professional wrestler. Like they said he had less ambition than any person they had ever tested. Wow. (laughs) But but he had the drive. Like he changed himself and remade himself in order to become a star, which a lot of guys in his spot, I think wouldn't have been willing to do after all the success they've had on the Indies. A lot of guys would have been like, why do I need to change? I'm great as I am. He was willing to change. It's really interesting that this show is so much about Daniel Bryan and CM Punk because they they took two drastically different directions to get where they went. Because Punk, from the time he walked through the door, was like, I refuse to change. Yes. And he never does, but he makes it anyway. And Bryan somehow somehow he he 
continues to look worse and worse as his WWE run goes on. Yes. He gets pro- he gets progressively worse haircuts and facial hair at every turn. And it, it just gets more and more over. Whereas Brian is like, I understand this isn't working. I need to change myself to be something that works. And then he does. And like both of them make it to the tippy top. And that's kind of wild. Yeah. Okay, so Brian was the world champion all the way back in 2012. He got humiliated at WrestleMania by Sheamus. He stuck around the main event scene for a couple months. He got to work with CM Punk when Punk was the WWE champion. But then they put him in the tag team with Kane. Seems like he's bound for the mid card, but... After WrestleMania this year, it starts to look like they have bigger plans for him. Him and Kane lose the tag titles, and he, like, they get in this storyline where he's obsessively trying to prove that he wasn't the weak link in the tag team, and he wasn't the reason they lost. That culminates, he does increasingly crazy awesome things, including leading a team that beats the Shield for the first time ever. I think it was him and Kane and Orton, and he tapped out uh, Ambrose or Rollins. Yes. Yeah. And then it culminates with him beating Randy Orton clean on Raw in a street fight, which was one of the biggest stunners I can remember. It's, And this all kind of stems from a joke. Because they thought it would be super funny if when they put him and Kane together, if he was the one with the anger management problem. Yes. And like that was just a good joke. But what it unlocks in Daniel Bryan is this like Tasmanian devil side to his personality, which is like unlocks him in the ring as a genuinely dangerous threat. And the more they lean into that, the more it becomes clear they're like, oh, he could actually beat people. And he becomes more and more credible from there. So. On the July 15th episode of Raw, the Raw after Money in the Bank, new Raw general manager Brad Maddox, which is a series of words that are very strange to say, now, then, and forever. Man who jizzed on the NXT Divas Championship, Brad Maddox. Yeah. (laughs) He decided that... WWE champion John Cena should be given the chance to choose his opponent for SummerSlam. Why do you now, think they did this? Okay, now I think that this is because the backstage story here is that Cena was pushing hard to face Brian at Money in the Bank. Like, Cena was like, there are no other good matches that I can yeah. have. I need to wrestle Brian and it needs to be now. And so Vince was like, if you really think it's going to be that big, it has to be at SummerSlam. So I think, honestly, they just made the backstage story the story. Like, was Vince like, okay, but I'm putting your credibility on the line. You're going to be the one who says that you want this match with him in storyline? Pretty much. But I think also, like, doesn't that work so well with the Vince McMahon character to just play this out on screen? Because, of course, the Vince, Vince in real life would be like, well, John, I respect your opinion. If you think this will draw, let's give it a try. But Vince, but Mr. McMahon would be like, fuck Daniel Bryan. No way am I going to allow that, which allows babyface Triple H to like feed his way in. The normal thing you would have done is just been like, we're going to have a battle royal with everyone on the roster in it. And Daniel Bryan wins it to earn the title match. But what you have to understand about this is that this is not about John Cena and Daniel Bryan. It's about Triple H. Because what they're trying to establish is that he's the babyface authority figure that's balancing out Vince McMahon and Brad Maddox. 
because this is the way they drive the like Triple H gets his foot in the door of this match and makes himself the special referee, which really doesn't work if he just wins a battle royal, you know? So the next week they put Brian in a gauntlet match. He beats Jack Swagger, then he beats Zaro, and then he beats Ryback by DQ after Ryback puts him through a table. So Brian got to wrestle for about the last 40 minutes of Raw here. Yeah, they know what they're doing. <laughs> they yeah. know what they've got. Um, Raw on July 29th opened with a face-to-face confrontation between Brian and Vince. Vince said he didn't want Brian or Cena to win at SummerSlam because he didn't like either of them. I don't like. I always thought it was kind of cringe that they were still trying to do the John Cena's anti-authority thing by this point. Like, I thought it would have been much more interesting if Vince was just like, "No, we love John Cena. John Cena's great corporate champion for WWE." So. We're not going to get totally into the end of the match now, but like basically what they're trying to set up is that Triple H has to betray one of the two because they don't want it to be either of these guys. It has to be Randy Orton. Randy Orton is the corporately chosen champion for this time. But you're right. It doesn't make sense that they wouldn't also just be fine with John Cena. (laughs) In fact, it just it would make more sense if John Cena was Vince's choice, but Randy was Triple H's choice. Yeah, actually, that's interesting. Yeah. Of course, Vince has been riding John Cena for 10 years. He's a merchandise machine. Why would he want any change? Raw and August opened with Brian coming out in a suit and a ponytail after he had gotten a corporate makeover. This is very similar to an angle they did with Steve Austin after WrestleMania 14. It is so funny that they start dipping into like the Austin McMahon playbook here because these segments work just as well as they did for Austin. (laughs) The yeah the we the chemistry between Vince McMahon and Daniel Bryan just weird goofy Daniel Bryan who Vince McMahon does not know what to make of is pretty great. It's so similar to Steve except Vince was so afraid of Steve and like that yeah. was like the tone of that. Whereas in this case Vince is disgusted with Bryan. <laughs> So Vince comes out and he says he wants Brian to go further and shave his beard. And he brings out Wade Barrett to shave him for some reason. Fuck yeah. They just used to bust out Wade Barrett for every random heel thing they needed back then. (laughs) He's like, oh, he's a man who's very well quaffed. Yeah, look at that nicely trimmed goatee. Let's get you one of those. So instead, Brian threw Barrett into the chair and shaved his beard, which takes away all his power. Wade Barrett without a beard is not cool. How dare you shave off some of the most handsome man in wrestling's beard, you savage motherfucker. Um, Cena did a promo later in the show kind of contrasting him and Brian. He said Brian was more comfortable wrestling in a high school gym. Cena said he would never wrestle anywhere other than WWE. You know, no wrestling, no other wrestling matters. Everywhere else is the minor leagues. It's interesting because this, I don't know whether they thought this was a babyface or a heel promo. And it got kind of a mixed reaction. Some of the fans were like, yeah, John respects us too much to wrestle somewhere else. And other people were like, wow, what a dick. So we got to talk about this from a whole storyline from John Cena's perspective. So good guy John Cena picks Diane O'Brien out of the crowd to be like, no hesitation, I want to wrestle Daniel Bryan. And this has been building for a while. 
There was that one segment where they had like all the former world champions out there. That happened before. That, this, hasn't, right? that hasn't happened yet. Oh, yeah, that hasn't happened yet. Okay. But like, I feel like John Cena has been like mildly championing random baby faces all throughout yeah. the course of this year. Made and Zach so, Rogers run. Yeah. So it just makes sense that he'd be like, yeah, the voice of the voiceless. I'm going to pick the guy the fans love. And then once he finally gets face to face with Brian, like, you almost see like an insecurity come out of him. That, like, I wish they had explored even more. Where, like, you guys don't think that I'm a legitimate pro wrestler. You don't think that I'm really very good. You think this guy is the best. And that's fine. But I actually am the fucking best. And you guys yeah. don't understand. He's the man. Who else can carry this company like he did for that long? You guys think I'm a fucking joke, but you don't get it. This guy's a fucking joke. I am the greatest of all time. Is 12th. Vince tried to appoint Brad Maddox as the referee for the SummerSlam main event. Triple H interrupted and said he would be the referee, and then he pedigreed Brad Maddox, which is a running theme that Triple H consistently, as an authority figure, creates unsafe working environments. Yep, babyface Triple H is a human resources nightmare. <laughs> Absolute disaster, just constantly beating people up, yeah, putting At people what? in totally dangerous, unfair matches. However, like, what they're trying to do here is make it unbelievably solidified in our mind that Triple H is a babyface and we would never consider anything else and he does the most yeah. babyface thing he can do which is hurt Brad Maddox which we're all in favor of later in the show they had Miz TV with Cena and Brian Cena said there was no issue between him and Brian they were just fighting over the title Cena said it would be a great match Miz said that was code for Cena's going to beat Brian. I love how the Miz has to be there at every critical moment of Daniel Bryan's career. More should have been made of that, by the way. That, yeah. like, the forever rivals, Miz and Daniel Bryan. Like, I wish Miz had lit into him. Like, you're, we were trash then, you're trash now, you'll never win the belt. You know you won't, I'll always be better than you. <laughs> But we're not building is, I, there. I think this is when Miz is a babyface, which it is a thing that should never have happened in this era. Truth be told, though, I feel like there are some feuds which would extend past face and heel. Like, yeah. regardless of if they're both faces, these two men should not like each other ever. Yeah, that's the thing, is that's much better writing if, yeah, these guys have had issues in the past, so they still don't like each other, even if they're both quote unquote good guys. And I mean, Miz could even be like, this is your shot, Brian. I've said you were garbage yeah. your entire career. Prove you me better, wrong. You better win on Sunday or you will be garbage. Yeah, and Miz can be like, I beat John Cena in the middle of the ring at WrestleMania. Do you think you can do what I did? It's true. Brian said he thought Cena was a parody wrestler. Cena took offense to that and talked about the sacrifices he had made to be the WWE champion. Brian said Cena didn't respect him. He talked about a tradition he learned in Japan where a wrestler slaps another in the face before their big match to fire them up. Brian said he wouldn't do that for Cena because Cena isn't a wrestler and he doesn't deserve it. Okay. Now, this segment rules so fucking hard because, A, this is one of those segments that you get from Cena every once in a while where he lets the yeah. facade slip and, like, he just suddenly is like, oh, you want to hear the real truth? Here's the real truth. I'm the only thing keeping this company alive. I'm exhausted. Yep. I wish one of you were good enough to take it away from me, but, but you're none not. None of you are. Yeah. 
And like until until Roman finally did in like 2021. Yeah. And then like this line from Brian, which, by the way, I just want to put this out there right now. This might be sacrilege to certain people in the world. Dana Bryan and John Cena are about to wrestle a King's Road match. That's what this is. <laughs> These fucking Japanese wrestling nerds. You know they were watching all Japan tapes together on the road. How many All Japan matches do you think Brie and Nikki Bella had to sit through oh, while these two God. nerds were hanging out in the house together? <laughs> Every single time one of them would go over to the other's house, I guarantee John or Daniel would put on Japanese wrestling and Nikki and Brie would just sit there being like, oh, this shit again. Are you kidding me? But, like, literally, you can even tell that it happens because Nikki starts using the fucking burning hammer, like, the year after this. Like, <laughs> it's definitely happening. But anyway, so these two get together and decide we're going to work a fucking King's Road match. And the build to it is literally about, like, they don't come out and say this, but it's, John Cena, you've been an All Japan fan your entire life. You pattern yourself after Kobashi. You think that's who you are. I don't respect you as a wrestler, though. You're a fucking parody of Kobashi. What, this is the biggest insult you could ever say to him. Yeah. So we're set for a big, big main event. We've also got Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk. Uh, the best versus the beast tagline. Wonder that if might that be Hayman's the best tagline they've ever come up with. Yeah. Um, Paul Heyman turned on Punk at Money in the Bank saying that Punk didn't listen to him anymore. And then, of course, he sicked his attack dog, Brock Lesnar, on him. This isn't like a complicated storyline, but I did like Punk, like them acknowledging Punk's got a turn face. Like it's time for him to be a face. And so he can't be a face with Paul. So he's just like, hey, Paul, let's still be friends, but I won't come out with you anymore. Paul betrays him. Punk comes out to beat Paul's ass and then Lesnar shows up. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Unleashes Brock Lesnar on him. Well, we had been talking about it the whole time because Heyman was managing both of them, but they were never in segments together. And we were like, why? Why don't the streams ever cross? And for a while, he was managing Cesaro, too. No, that happens. No, that was McGillicuddy. That's the that's the year after this. Yeah, he's got McGillicuddy at the uh, Curtis Axel at this point, and then they give him Ryback, and that's who Punk has to feud with Ryback and Curtis Axel in the fall, and he gets so depressed he's quitting the company. I remember passionately arguing at the time. Why the oh, fuck no. do we not have stable wars between like Lesnar, Punk, and McGillicuddy versus the Shield? Like <laughs> Paul Heyman has a dangerous alliance that could actually beat the Shield. Curtis Axel. Yeah, it's it's a because shame that Axel wanted the guy. because Punk wanted nothing to do with that guy. It's funny, like they could have picked somebody else. Like if they pick like Cody yeah. Rhodes or Cesaro, <laughs> just giving Paul Heyman some people to manage. But they, you know, I mean Cesaro was good. I think it was just the wrong time. Cesaro should have been turning face at that point. Do you think anyone backstage during this time said out loud the words "dangerous alliance"? Because Michael Hayes was there. <laughs> Yeah, Vince doesn't know what the Dangerous Alliance was. Let's get Paul Heyman a big, chunky cell phone and have him, Lesnar, and Punk and a bunch of jobbers go out there. I remember I remember saying, like, let's put, like, he should get Big Show, too, because Big Show's always been a Paul Heyman guy. And I can't sure. remember if anybody else. Anybody else? RVD's back at this point, but, you know, this is supposed to be a heel stable. You want to do Heyman guys that aren't ECW guys, too? Like, that yeah. makes more sense. But like, That's a good point. But yeah, just create the dangerous alliance of like all of Paul Heyman's separate dudes that are mercenaries and they just fuck everyone up. 
But you right. can't do that because we have the biggest storyline they've done in 20 years cooking. Before we get to the show, are you ready for the lightning round? I am both scared and awed by the concept of the lightning round. Who knows what could come out here? The WWE Performance Center opened in Orlando. This was a huge step forward for this company. I remember when I was first hearing about it, like for people who don't understand the way that it was before the performance center, like they just had FCW, which was just a place for them to like have matches. And there was like a ring and a dirty warehouse. Like there wasn't like actual, it was training. It was just a territory. Yeah. Yeah. Here they've got a state of the art gym. They've got doctors and trainers. They've got chefs to cook really good, nutritious meals. I think they had a nutritionist on the staff to come up with diet plans for all the wrestlers. Like this is nobody had ever done anything like this before that I know of. I mean, was the new dojo this advanced? Uh, new Japan dojo is similar, but it's also still just like a dirty fucking gym that they make yeah. all the the wrestlers live in. And it's not great living conditions. This is like, this is like NFL training camp level shit. Yeah, that's that's what this was inspired by. Triple H toured the New York Giants team facility and said, like, we want our own version of this. This is also the very first thing Triple H does as a member of the corporate yeah. office. Like he is this is actually the beginning of him as like a corporate figure in the company. And like Vin, the first thing Vince does is say, do something with our developmental. It sucks ass. Yeah. And so he does. <laughs> Creates NXT. Changes the face of pro wrestling. I can't remember if he was there for the founding of NXT or if he took it over later. I don't really remember. Well, it's, I, it's always fuzzy to me when FCW became NXT. I think it became, wasn't Seth Rollins the first NXT champion, and I think he was in his yes. Shield gear. So I think it was a little before. Dusty was still running it back then, I think. Yeah, but I don't yeah, think the, NXT The transition was from FCW to NXT is always a little fuzzy to me. Yeah, but I think this performance center was literally the first thing that he does. And then that bleeds into and he moves it to full sale or like it's right next to the performing center. So like everyone's just in like living in the dorms and like working out every day. And, and putting like, it in full sale was genius because they they had an unlimited supply of interns of people who go into that school for like filmmaking and set design and all the other stuff. See, this is the smartest thing. He creates a pipeline. So now anybody yeah. who comes in, A, gets trained how to wrestle. Even if they're an indie wrestler, they get trained advanced classes on how to wrestle the WWE style. B, they're in the best shape of their life. C, you get all of these like new camera people and producers and technicians. Like They can come up to the main roster once they graduate. It's a perfect pipeline. This is the best thing Triple H has ever done. <laughs> When mocked with you tapped out chance by the crowd, Mark Henry responded that John Cena could make all of them tap out. That is He's an right. unbelievable line. Because, yeah, <laughs> He's of course like, he could. Yeah, he'll make all you tap out, too. It's like, I wouldn't last five seconds in the STF. Jesus. STF? He could put you in a headlock and make yeah. you pass out. Like, give let's up not. immediately. I look like Richard Belzer. That's the funniest part is we all talk about like, oh, Hulk Hogan, he couldn't win in a shoot fight. Hulk Hogan once choked a man out for real until he almost yeah. died. <laughs> more than more than CM Punk's ever done in a shoot fight. Yeah, right. Promos for a fictional company owned by Seamus called 1-800-FELLA started playing. The concept was that you could hire Seamus to bro kick people for you. 
we, this was so close to a good idea. The <laughs> idea, the idea that you would just kind of like redo the APA with Seamus yeah. is so, that's a good idea. Like, cause like that's the character that he is, is he just wants to fight people. So like, Hey, kick me 20 bucks in a beer and I'll beat the shit out of that guy. That's a good idea. That's what the bar should have been. Total Divas premiered on the E! Network. This is low-key super important in this company's history. Here's the funniest part, is that, like, in the history of wrestling, Total Divas will never be mentioned. Because no one likes to admit the fact that Total Divas was maybe the most successful mainstream show they've ever had. Jim Ross was... Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I think at one point it was doing better numbers than Raw. Jim Ross was fired after a panel he was moderating with Ric Flair went off the rails. Dude, this Ric Flair panel was wild. Rick was not. Like, they sh- I can't believe his son had died a month or two before this. They really should not have put him up there. He was not so, in a good place. He's obviously drunk, but, like, he won't stop talking. And, like, that's the thing is anybody could have cut him off. JR's sitting right next to him and doesn't make any clear attempt to make him shut the fuck up at any point while he's talking about TNA. At one point, he brings up that John Cena drinks a six-pack every day. How much John Cena drinks and he never does cardio and he fucks tons of women. That's the best part. It's like John Cena drinks every night and bangs all the rats. It's the funny. Do you imagine Vince McMahon when he read that? Oh, God. Yeah. And then I think he also buried Daniel Bryan. Yeah, he was like, oh, Daniel Bryan fucking sucks. John Cena's a real wrestler. Bryan's fucking stupid. <laughs> it was bad. And, like, John, Jim Ross just fucking sits there. Like, dude, you're in charge of this. It's the same as the plane ride from hell, which he was on and did nothing. Yep. Darren Young came out as gay. And in an unbelievable act of restraint, WWE did nothing with that information. Thank God. As much as I wanted there to be an openly gay wrestler on television, there's no way that WWE in this era was prepared to do anything positive with that. Ten years later, we got the epic Max Caster I'm Gay segment where the entire crowd approvedly chanted he's gay. We are in a much better place now. Yeah. It's it's lovely to see. A number of people have come out as gay since then, and that's fantastic. Yeah. But Drew McIntyre and Alberto Del Rio reportedly teamed up to fight a bunch of dudes at the bar. I think I know who won this one. So apparently this started because somebody was harassing Drew McIntyre's <laughs> girlfriend, which if you went into a bar and saw Drew McIntyre and a woman sitting next Jeez to Drew McIntyre, Christ. it could be his fucking sister. <sighs> I'm not talking to that woman. <laughs> And he wasn't as scary back then, but he was still gigantic. He's still 6'5". Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so somebody breaks a bottle over Alberto Del Rio's head, which I'm jealous about that man getting to do that. I think we should all have a turn at that. How much would you? How much would people pay to do that? Line up to break a bottle yeah. over Alberto's head. Reddit user DolphinL1925 started giving away the results of pay-per-views in advance on the Reddit forums. Do you oh. think they ever figured out who this was? That was the beginning of Dolphin Man? Yeah. Oh, shit. 
this man like almost completely derailed the entire industry for a little bit because he was dead on 100 percent accurately predicting pay-per-views and it must it was 100 percent somebody who worked for the company like no it had to have been it had to have been and it was somebody who was like deep into the company because even like the changes vince would make at the last minute he accounted for so we're talking like i don't know like it would make sense to try to like if you have the inside info you can bet with the inside information but this would swing the betting odds. So if, unless you and you can't short like the betting, I don't think you can short the betting odds or anything. It's not that sophisticated. Also, you can't really make money on the betting because I don't know what the biggest bets they take on wrestling matches are. But it's not very high. Yeah, the Rumble they like do like do real money on, but I think that's really the only one. Um, it's just funny because the reason people leak stuff to Meltzer is so that Meltzer will say positive things about them yeah. in the newsletter so that they can get over. Um, leaking it to Reddit, what the fuck's the point of that? Yeah, I don't know who this turned out to be or what they were doing, but yeah, this went on for a while. I think this went on for at least a year. Yeah, and Vince firing writers and stuff, and I think he was trying to get to the person doing this, and they never yeah. figured it out. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't one of the writers. But who else gets it? Who else would have had this stuff? What if it was JBL? I have always secretly wanted it to be Kane or Shane. I like I, I want it to be <laughs> Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon not is even definitely the company at this point. Shane wouldn't have known any of this. That's a good point. Oh, but maybe it's Jim Ross and it's just like bitterness. George Clooney and Stacy Keebler reportedly split up. Damn. Yeah. On, on the list of all-time most attractive couples, they yeah. got to be up there. <laughs> up there. Snitsky was reported to be working as a bodyguard for Alex Rodriguez. That is unbelievable. Like, how do <laughs> you think those two day people It wasn't his fault. That is... Ah... <sighs> I, I just love the idea that you'd be like at a bar and you'd be like, oh man, that's A Rod, let's go meet him. And then Gene Snitsky stiffs in front of you, like, oh. hey. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you do to babies. I like what you do to babies. I like your poetry. <laughs> Former oddity Kurgan appeared in a supporting role in the movie Pacific Rim. Kurgan's one of those dudes who would just pop up in like a B movie every so often and you'd see him and be so, like, what the there's fuck? There's only so many people that big. Yeah. I feel like he was in like a Jet Li movie one time or something like that. And when he showed up, I, I freaked out. It was like, yeah. Roddy Piper appeared on a reality show called The Haunting of, claiming to have been visited by the ghost of Adrian Adonis. Roddy. Jesus Christ. That was no, that, I mean, I don't know. Adrian Adonis liked to do coke, so maybe it was related to that. Yeah, that's the funny thing. Every time I do coke, I see Adrian. <laughs> he lives why in the coke. He, why would he visit Roddy Piper of all people? That's the thing. Like, Roddy, are you saying you like killed Adrian Adonis? Is that what we're saying here? Bruce Pritchard quit TNA or was fired. I don't remember. I don't think he was ever 100% clear on how that ended together. And he um, was never heard from again. He almost was never heard from again until a random mortgage dealer uh, from Alabama resuscitated him. And now he runs the world. 
That is truly one of the wildest stories in wrestling history. Ric Flair's co-host on his not very successful podcast digs Bruce Pritchard up, and they become the hottest thing in wrestling for five years. Although, amazingly, it's the thing the Indianapolis Colts did, uh, hiring Jeff Saturday as their head coach. But at least Jeff Saturday was, you know, a former player for the team. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, I mean, in real sports, people have used media as a springboard to kind of get relevant again and get, you know, coaching jobs and front office jobs. Like, if John Gruden weren't on Monday Night Football all those years, I don't think he would have been in the mix for so many head coaching jobs. I think people would have just forgotten about him. Yeah, the uh, John Gruden's a great example because he went from absolute obscurity like this guy fucking sucks to – Oh man, we got to put this guy in charge of the Raiders. He's the only one who ever did it right. And then he yeah. comes back and proceeds to suck because just like Bruce Pritchard, he was never good to begin with. Antonio Inoki was elected to the Japanese House of Counselors for the second time. <laughs> yeah, this is the second time. He'd been in and out before this. This is so funny because basically, like, presidents like new prime ministers in japan would run on certain tickets and a couple of them would be like oh let's get antonio inoki on here because he's super popular and he'll like do a lot of press for me and then they do it and then antonio inoki would be a huge pain in the ass until they asked him to step down because <laughs> he'd be like hey, hey i want to go suplex putin are we good with that <laughs> Paige was reported to be dating Corey Graves. I guess dating is one word for that. Listen, no, perhaps no one has ever been slut shamed more in the history of popular media than Paige has, which really fucking sucks. Because Very Paige was, Yeah, if you're a 21 year old incredibly attractive person around a bunch of other 20 something incredibly attractive people living in a dorm, you know what you do? You have fucking sex with all of them. That's what college is. Literally this was Paige's college. Everybody on the NXT roster, and she was college aged at that point, but literally everybody on the NXT roster hooked up with everybody. Yeah. Look at like the relationships from that time. According to, I don't even remember who, Finn Balor fucked every single woman who drew breath within 20 miles yeah. of Tampa while he was down there. And imagine the damage Cody would have done if he'd been down there. This is what I'm saying. Like, and bless them all for doing that. Yeah. These people don't get to go to college for real. This is wrestling college. Fuck, do like, it. Like, they were making like 500 bucks a week. They didn't have anything else to do. No, all they do, they would train for like 12 hours, eat their chicken <laughs> breast, and then go back to the dorm, bang each other, watch some matches, and go to sleep. That's all they had to do. Was reported to be dating AJ Lee. That seems unlikely since she married CM Punk a year after this. And also Maddox has apparently been married since he was early in his early 20s, which casts the things he did in NXT in a poor light. Yeah, see, here's the thing is that Brad Maddox should be shamed because all the stuff that we found out he did, he was married he, during. And I have a suspicion he was the one who leaked the page tapes. Absolutely. Who stood the most to gain? Not Xavier Woods. Definitely not Paige. In an interview, Dwayne Johnson said that while he was training for Hercules, he would eat 6,000 calories per day. Almost exclusively chicken breast, halibut, broccoli, asparagus, baked potatoes, and egg whites. That is a lot of chicken breast and halibut. I just want to be clear about this. 
I like all of those foods that you just named. After oh, a while, so bad. eating just starts to not be fun at all. Like you're just like chewing I, through your fourth baked potato yeah. in a row. But like, I mean, a chicken breast has like 150 calories. Think of how many chicken breasts you have to eat to get to six thousand none of those foods have a lot of calories in them they're all very lean here's the thing dwayne johnson's gift is that he's been able to transform his body maybe more than anyone i've ever seen from like swimmer's body to like muscular athlete to like uh i'm a movie star now so i'm super slim down but still pretty big to what he is now which is the living incarnation of the incredible hulk and he's healthily done all of those things as near as we can tell it's just incredible. His gift is that he can just eat endlessly and never stop. His cheat day, the magical cheat day, oh. he eats like 1,000 pancakes. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know how. The New York City Council gave the owners of Madison Square Garden a 10-year extension on their lease with the warning that they'd have to find a new location in 10 years. You know what 10 years from back then is? Today, it's today. I I did some good. I don't know if it's literally today, but it's this month. I've been Googling. I don't know how this is getting resolved. I assume they're just going to give them another extension. Well, this is interesting because the owners of Madison Square Garden are the ones who just built that giant sphere building in Vegas. Yeah. And so, like, maybe they're planning to relocate there when the deal comes out because it's literally opening in the exact same timeline. Jerry Lawler drove three hours in the wrong direction, leaving a show in Austin. He was supposed to drive south to Laredo, but realized his mistake once he hit Dallas, which is, of course, to the north of Austin. And you can definitely do that in Texas because there ain't shit in between those cities. (laughs) Jerry never worked the Texas territories, so he didn't know his way around. Yeesh, that sucks. <laughs> Back after Jared, Jared did buy, you know, Jared bought Dallas at that one point, but they couldn't drag him out to Dallas. Oh, fuck no. It was speculated that October's Battleground pay-per-view would feature a War Games match. I wonder who was pushing for that. Yes, yeah, speculated by who, motherfuckers? Come on now. <laughs> Yeah, hey, uh, a lot of people are saying they want to see a War Games match. Maybe we should do one of those. Triple H would open his mouth and form the W, and Vince would just slap him in the face. <laughs> I'm convinced the moment Vince decided he had to retake control of the company was when Triple H did the War Games match at Survivor Series. We're not going to do any more of this Dusty Rhodes bullshit while I'm still alive. He made a promise to his dying father. He would never let that shit into his territory. Oh, man. Um, The rumored Steve Austin versus Triple H match for WrestleMania 30 was reportedly canceled. This was never going to happen. Was it rumored, again, rumored by who? That was never, ever going to happen. Meltzer laid out this whole storyline thing where Vince, remember Vince and Triple H were having all these issues this summer and like Vince was like, you need to retire. You can't wrestle anymore. I want my grandkids to have a father. And they just kind of dropped it and did the authority instead. I guess this was going to be part of that, but it doesn't make it like I don't it doesn't add up like Triple H is clearly the heel in that match. 
I mean, I could almost see, like, let's say, for example, like, they don't have Brian wrestle Triple H in order to get into the main event, and Brian's got to pick somebody else to wrestle for him, and he picks Austin. That would be fucking cool. But, like, Austin's not doing it. This is never going to happen here. No. A 20-year-old independent wrestler jumped the railing during a show in South Africa and attacked Randy Orton. When asked by police why he did it, he said he didn't like Randy Orton. Well, nobody does, but we're not all jumping the railing and attacking him. All right, but let's be clear. The real reason he jumped Randy Orton is he's because he was probably the only guy on the roster he thought he could take. I don't think I can beat up Randy Orton. I don't think so either. But if you're looking at the rest of this roster and really thinking about it, uh, I don't know who, at least Orton doesn't have shoot skills. And finally, the hammer. August 1st, 2013 brought the reveal of what? TNA's August 1 warning to be UFC legend Tito Ortiz. Oh, right. Fuck. I, I don't know. The only thing I've ever seen bomb this bad is when WWE brought Kane Velasquez out on the first episode of SmackDown on Fox, and it got the exact same reaction, which is no reaction at all because nobody knew who it was. Here's the thing. TNA's done this a couple of times where they would be like, on this date, the biggest thing in TNA history will happen. And, like, it was disappointing a million times right up until they got to the debut of Immortal, which was actually cool and awesome. Uh, and by then, no one was listening to them about these things at all. This August warning thing, I don't even remember who I thought it was going to be. But when the ghost of old man Tito Ortiz showed up, everyone just turned it off. <laughs> this was like, I, I don't think I've ever seen any flop this bad. It's it, it, it was quieter than church when he came out. And like, I think it's because at the time they were doing something with Rampage Jackson. And like, so like the idea was that like Tito and Rampage were going to fight, if I remember correctly. And sure. like no one in the world wants that. The Rampage shit wasn't getting over and he actually has a personality. <sighs> OK, so to get into the show. It's Sunday, April the 18th, 2013. We are at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, the longtime home of SummerSlam in this era. Uh, sold out, as always, almost 18,000 in attendance. This show does only 296,000 buys, which is down pretty far from 358,000 the previous year for Triple H versus Lesnar on top. This is where their pay-per-view business is starting to get pretty soft. I mean, Triple H versus Lesnar only doing 350,000 buys at SummerSlam is pretty bad. It's funny because when they debuted the WWE Network, that kind of robs us the ability to find out how far off their pay-per-view business would have eventually fallen. Like, we probably yeah. would have gotten down to, like, 150, like, into the end of WCW. Well, like, what, what, a, what AEW does today. Yeah, that's probably just what WWE would do if they were doing traditional pay-per-view these days. That's probably just the market for wrestling pay-per-view. Um, on commentary, Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JBL. I don't know if I have any notes on anything they said tonight. They just all are very much... I don't know if in their they're in their groove and in a rut at the same time on commentary at this point. It's all just very safe. 
JBL is still trying, so I'm going to give him yeah. that. And he does have a line later on that I'm going to bring up that in the Cody Rhodes match that I thought was really interesting. But other than that, like, no, none of these pe- people has anything to say. Jerry Lawler says not one relevant thing any at any point during the show. On the pre-show, Rob Van Dam defeated Dean Ambrose by disqualification in 13 minutes and 38 seconds. That's a lot more legitimate mass than you usually get on a pre-show. Let's also point out, both of these men have wrestled for AEW in the last week. This week, yeah. (laughs) We cut straight into the arena where The Miz, who is our host tonight, comes out. I swear he was the host of SummerSlam every year. What a miserable use of The Miz. Like, I love Miz, and I want to see him on every show. But Babyface Miz as the host of SummerSlam is literally he's just Todd Pettengill on this show. But like the real crime isn't Miz. It's the Fondango part of all of this oh, that we'll get to. God. Yeah, Miz is interrupted by Fondango as he will be throughout the night. We're in the middle of that. Except it's out we're already far past its expiration point. Yeah. That was the night after WrestleMania this year where the crowd went crazy doing his theme for the entire show and it was dead within a week, but still trying to get something out of it. This is like when something goes viral on like Twitter or TikTok, and then like six months later, your dad sends it to you from like yeah. a Facebook meme that he saw. That's the level we're at now. <laughs> the opening promo is about the similarities and differences between Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, both of whom will face the greatest challenges of their careers tonight. That's a really compelling promo because yeah. it's impossible. I liked not it. To I like that they them. brought. I like that they brought back the narration. Yes. Um, then JoJo sings the Star Spangled Banner, and as she walked backstage through the curtain, she saw a greasy, long-haired, disgusting fat man and fell in love with him. And it was her <laughs> husband. I wonder if that actually is their story. What if? Right. Or they were dating down in NXT. I mean, that's probably more likely the case. But, like, man, that is very funny. Opening match. We've got a ring of fire match between Kane and Bray Wyatt. Good God, did this suck. So, Bray Wyatt has just debuted. Like, just He came in. They came in red hot. This... I just remember the jolt of electricity that these Wyatt family promos were when they first started to air. And like, I was such a fan, like back in the early NXT days, there weren't a lot of us watching. It was like 20 of us. Like no one gave a shit about NXT. There'd be like five people in the crowd. And like, I started watching cause I started doing the Q scouts thing. That's literally the only reason I was watching. And I watched this character like, start and transform and like it was the coolest thing i had ever seen in my life even from the very first nxt promo which was so rough and not really there yet at all it's just such a compelling idea and then they mastered it when he came up to the main roster those promos that would just like interrupt like really jarringly into every segment like it wouldn't even matter who was talking just bray wyatt shit would come on that was amazing. And when he finally walked out for the first time, the fans went electrically insane. 
Yeah. These got so over, they ended the week before he was going to debut. They ended Raw with the Wyatt family promo. They literally, like, the main event wrapped up. They went back to the announce desk and they were like, all right, next week you're going to see the debut of the Wyatt family. Let's take one more look at the Wyatt family. I have never seen a show end, a wrestling show end that way. I think I remember hearing that they actually went longer with these videos than they meant to just because they were getting so over just as the videos that there was no need to debut them yet. Do you remember when they sent like a reporter down to the Wyatt family compound to explore? That was incredible. He's like walking through and he sees like Harper, like Harper Rowan, like in the corner and like. Yeah, they did an incredible job of capturing the vibe of like a real yeah. cult compound. Like when you would see like reporters actually go on to them and you'd be like, dude, everyone's so fucking creepy here. Like yeah. they could just turn on you and kill you at any second. Like it felt like that. This original Bray Wyatt, this was the best Bray Wyatt. Yes. I, he's never gotten back to this level. Like, and really, the best thing he could possibly do was just do this again. But I don't think that he could. I don't know if he could just revert back to this point. But it's so rare that a character is at its peak right when it first debuts. But like this one was on point. I have a nitpick. I hated that the announcers talked over the Wyatt family's entrance. If I had been on the headset, I would have told. I would have screamed at them to shut up. Like, just let this breathe. We do not need to hear you talk right now. Or maybe just like one murmured, like this is scary. Like this yeah. is like like but put over that you're scared. Just let the moment breathe. Yeah. It was also a horrible mistake to put him up against Kane first. And I understand the idea is you're trying to be like this monster. is the new monster. Yeah. But isn't it so much better if it's somebody like Rey Mysterio that he can kill? Oh. Like yeah. he should Probably. annihilate the first person he meets. So the rules here are it's just a regular match with the ring surrounded by fire. Um, You don't have to light your opponent on fire to win. They move past that. I mean, that's fine. And like the story of this match, I'm also so your mileage may vary on this. So the idea here is that Bray Wyatt can't win matches unless Harper and Rowan win them for him. Because this is just Vince. He's a heel. He has to cheat. Yes. And, like, I don't hate the idea that, like, Wyatt himself isn't a great wrestler. Because, like, the idea of that character is that he's, like, mind controls people, basically. (laughs) And so, like, the idea that, like, he'll always win because he'll always, like, have people in his corner who... But, like, they're just trying to find a way to get in and help him the whole time. Uh, Kane beats up Wyatt. He hits him with a sidewalk slam and a couple choke slams. Harper and Rowan use a blanket to cover the flames and get in the ring. That was creative. I thought this was like one of the mats around the ring, but maybe it was a blanket. I don't actually they know what it was. A, they got it. No, I mean, you need you need a special like flame proof blanket here so it doesn't catch on fire. So there's also like a like a fire marshal sitting by the yeah. flames trying to prevent them from doing that. Uh, it turns out that was Scorpio Sky. I looked it up on the way before. What? This. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, they beat up Kane and then Bray hit Sister Abigail for the win. This was god awful. Just trash. There's there's. Okay, nothing... I mean, honestly, did how many good matches did Bray Wyatt ever have in his career? Not very many. Because I could, they couldn't figure out how to make the matches in the ring work. 
But every time they would have all three of these guys in the ring together, they never had yeah. a bad match ever. That was always dynamite. Because that's the story, is that Bray Wyatt, why would he get personally involved? It wouldn't be about him. He's basically a manager. And after the match, they smash Kane's head with the steps and carry him away. He would be gone for a little while and then come back as corporate Kane. Corporate Kane? People hated corporate Kane. I fucking loved it. You like Kane wrestling in slacks? I mean, it was stupid and horrible, but like in a really great heat-seeking way. It was a perfect fit for the authority to just nerf somebody that the fans love. Yeah. Uh, there's a quick panel segment with Josh Matthews, Booker T, Shawn Michaels, and Vicky Guerrero. What a group this is. Boy, Shawn, don't bother dressing up or anything. Yeah. You just wear this camo shit everywhere you go. He is really deep into the hunting stuff. Like, it's just so close. It feels so much to me like he's compensating. It's also funny to me. Yeah. Like, he's got to fill his life with something. These days, in his role as, like, the head of NXT, when you see him in, like, suits and shit, he looks ridiculous. He does. It's so funny to think, like, this used to be the most attractive man in the world, the greatest yeah. wrestler on Earth, the top draw in WWE. You would never look at that man and think that. He can't be that attractive anymore. It would be sinful. Uh, there's a quick Paul Heyman promo where he announces that tonight's Punk-Lesnar match will be no disqualification. And then we're on to the next match. It's uh, Crossroads Explodes. Damian Sandow versus Cody Rhodes. They're not called the Crossroads. They were called the Rhodes Scholars. The Rhodes right. Scholars, yes. Well, they were tag team partners and best friends. Very homoerotic best friends until... Sandow stole the money in the bank briefcase out from under Cody. Cody responded by stealing the briefcase from Sandow and throwing it into a river. Sandow then proceeded to get a replacement briefcase that was made of leather because it had to be classy. This is also great because, like, WCW rules would have dictated that Sandow would then not have had money in the bank because if you ate yeah. somebody's contract, then it was just no longer – it was null and void. 100. Hundred percent. Apparently, in WWE, you can just get a replacement contract. Yeah, that's nice of them. You don't have to protect the contract. Now, this is also they do this because Cody Rhodes has started to like get over as a babyface by accident. So, like he he was getting major pops in that Money in the Bank match. People wanted him to win bad. Oh, they went. I remember, that's my memory of that match. Is people went absolutely wild for him when they thought he was going to win. Yeah. So like they might go, they just go ahead and turn him face here, and it's probably the right choice. Cody has unshaved his mustache, thankfully. Cole says he knows why he shaved it, but you have to tune into the JBL and Cole show to find out. Never blue ball the audience. That's a cardinal sin to me. I do love that this is the era of the JBL and Cole show, <laughs> which, which I was delightful. I never listened to a single episode of it. I just hear clips every now and then. But, like, apparently it was very entertaining. It was incredibly funny. And it was, it was a YouTube show. It wasn't a podcast. Yeah. Uh, shockingly, Cody actually gets a pop here. He really does. Like, this man's character for, I don't know, a year has been he has a mustache. Yes. that That was it. There was nothing more than he has a mustache. And previous to that, it was that uh, he was 
uh, ugly or previous to that is that or he was handsome. handsome. Yeah. So like this man has never been given anything like a substantial character the whole time he's been here. JBL points out that Sandow is likely the future world heavyweight champion. And if Cody beats him, that could make him the number one contender. Of course, Damian Sandow will not succeed in cashing in the money in the bank. He'll instead be humiliatingly defeated by John Cena. Yeah, I have no memory of that cash-in whatsoever, which means that that's probably pretty bad for Damian Sandow. Yeah, it is. Uh, pretty good match. Cody gets the win in six minutes with Crossroads. During this match, JBL says something on commentary that I basically like have been pestering Steve all afternoon about, which is that like he said that if Cody wins the belt, like if he becomes number one contender and wins the world championship, he and his dad will be the first ever father-son world champions. And near as we can figure, that appears to be the case. I think like, that's right. Ric Flair and Charlotte something were weird, both, yeah. but... Hadn't honestly, happened yet. And we might have to do like a Patreon special about world championships because there's many debates to <laughs> be had. What constitutes a real world title, yeah. Yeah, So, and we have some uh, capital O opinions about that. However... The big question is, has Cody Rhodes ever been a world champion yet? Does the AWA title count when he I won it I don't think it does. I definitely, I think, no. I think once the NWA title, once they split with TNA, that was no longer a world title. And I think he's intentionally never been world champion because he yep. wants the first time he is to be the real one. The real one. The one his dad never held. Yes. And that's why he, he literally came out and like, I don't want Seth Rollins' bullshit, not Seth's real title. joke title, yeah. I which, want the real belt. In storyline and probably in reality, Seth has taken a lot of offense too. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, next up, the thing that surprised me most on the show, the World Heavyweight Championship, Alberto Del Rio defends against Christian. I loved the promo for this match where they just go through like Christian's entire life. Yeah. Show pictures of him and Ed's like literally as kids. And it's just all the work he's done. Everything he's achieved goes to him winning the tag titles, the intercontinental title, the world title. And it asks the question, why is he still doing this? Why does the fire still burn? It's because he still wants what? One, one, one more, more match. match. Turned one more match into a babyface thing. That's unbelievable, really. Yeah. And unbelievably, Christian actually beat Randy Orton to get this title shot. It happened. He pinned Randy Orton for the only time ever. This is my favorite part of this storyline, is that Christian could not beat Randy to win the title. No, and now here, he's finally summoned up all of his reserves, and he's finally beaten Orton, but it wasn't for the belt. So he still no. has to win another match to win the belt, and he can't do that. <laughs> against i don't know orton doppelganger who's just as big and just as athletic and just as handsome and just as technically sound if anything like christian at this point has mastered how not to get hit by the rko which is a skill yeah. set that does not work against del rio because del rio is trying to took rip him, your fucking took arm him off a really long time to learn that it only took him 15 matches in a row yeah not dive right into the rko now, welcome to Submission Hell, something you're not prepared for. <laughs> Christian was 40 here. He would retire not long after that. Of course, He's a champion today. 
Yeah, he's still he's still wrestling today, but he was retired for a while. Yeah. Um, Del Rio turned heel the month before this when he beat Ziggler for the world title. He's ditched Ricardo at this point. He also doesn't have the cars anymore, so there's really not much to his presentation at this point. I was really ready for this match to be terrible. Um, yeah. Del, Del Rio has a habit of every so often turning in like an absolute banger out of nowhere, like the one against yeah. Big Show. Like, like he has all the talent on in the fucking world. Like, we don't need to cover that he's a fucking scumbag. But like, he would also just be boring for six months and then turn in like one of the best matches you've ever seen. And this is yeah, one of those. When does, but when does Christian ever have a bad match, especially pay per view? And this run he's on, man. Like, for, like, three years, he can't miss. Uh, Del Rio is working on Christian's shoulder to soften it up for the cross-arm breaker. Uh, Christian slips out of a straddle attempt and then hits him with a plancha down to the floor. Christian hits a flurry of offense. Del Rio goes for the insiguri while he's on the top rope, but he ducks and hits a crossbody for the two count. Love that because just like, oh, Christian's actually on his game tonight. He might win this thing. Exactly. Um, Christian goes for his sunset flip, which this move, this is what he every time against Orton would try to do or would nail him with the RKO. Here he gets hit with a backcracker out of it. Yep. This move has never worked for him. But he must have been like... There was the one awesome time he faked Orton out with it. He yes. faked like he was going to jump, and Orton jumped and tried to do the RKO, and then Christian hit him. And maybe this is just like, I'm finally not fighting Orton. I can yeah. finally do the move I've always dreamed of. Uh, Del Rio misses a senton. Christian gets him with a diving elbow, and then a super Frankensteiner off the top rope. Working boots, Christian. Holy shit. Uh, Christian goes for the spear. Del Rio drop kicks him clean in the face. That was an awesome counter. I've never like that was like a solid near fall because that looked like it killed him. Del Rio teases the cross arm breaker. Christian slips out, but gets caught with a super kick. Christian hits a spear. Looks like he's got the pin, but he can't cover because his shoulders messed up. And as he goes, to cover him, Del Rio rolls it over into the cross arm breaker right in the middle of the ring. Christian, like, desperately tries to get out of it, but he's got nowhere to go and he has to tap out. Hell of a match. And, like, what a great performance by these guys. They come in totally cold, no storyline, and they just bust out a hell of a match. Here's the truth I we've just... covered like 25 of these SummerSlams. This would have been the best match on most of them. (laughs) Yeah, this might be a top 10 match in SummerSlam history. I don't know. It's definitely top 15. But it's number three on this one show. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Classic Christian. The thing about this match, I really wish instead of this, they had held off a month and had Christian Orton for the WWE title at the next pay-per-view and just kind of done this exact story that it's Christian's last shot and he's up against the guy he's never been able to beat. It's tough to do that though, because then then you're inserting Christian into this authority thing that they're doing. Yeah. 
And so, like, well, you basically have to. But I think it would have been good to not just burn out. You know, I think the mistake they made with Brian and Orton was that they just went to the. They had him just do three mat rematches in a row right away instead of making Brian like fight to get to him. Well, yeah, they have three pay per views in like the next like yeah. seven weeks. And so, yeah, like, that's why Triple H wanted one of them to be war games. Yeah, that makes sense. Like that burns out the Brian storyline. Is that, I think by the way, gener- we, we, we uh. got we've got to do that battleground because that's got that's got the Shield versus the Rhodes boys on it. Oh, that's one of the best matches that that's one of those matches that only the Law Cast cares about. But it's yeah. one of our favorites that's, of all that, time. That, we're inducting that match into the Hall of Fame. We got to put together a Law Cast Hall of Fame sometime. Um. But people normally forget, I think, that like by Survivor Series, Brian's dead in the water to the point that they do the fucking Wyatt family thing because they feel like they're just writing him off. Like, oh, sorry, it didn't work. We're done. Yeah. They've already Uh, decided to go with Batista. (laughs) They recap fan access where bizarrely Maria Menounos had a match. Why did she have a match there instead of on this pay-per-view? That's a really great question, Steve. I'm not really sure about that. Yeah. Maybe she couldn't make it on this night. I don't know. No, she's here. She's a backstage segment with oh, the Miz. Oh, yeah. I mean, unless this, maybe this was taped, but probably not. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, has she already done her WrestleMania match, or did that happen next yeah, year? Yeah, that was, that, was, that was in 2012. Okay. Yeah, so that's already happened. Maybe the blooms off the rose. They felt it like it wouldn't draw. Not that Natalia versus Brie is really yeah. drawing, but they're trying to do a Total Divas match, so I guess I get it. First. Miz interviews Maria Menounos. Fandango interrupts, and Maria and Miz dance and showcase some electric sexual chemistry. Yeah, guys, yeah. they do like Ooh, a little boy. tango, and um, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Maurice was at home unhappy. <laughs> um, then we've got Natalia against Brie Bella. This is only happening to promote Total Divas. Which, again, there will be all these matches at the time, and people all over the forums and Twitter and stuff would be like, why the fuck do we have to watch this? And it's like, well, because these women are stars now. Like, so they're trying to get something out of it. They're trying to make women watch this raw. These women are growing this company's audience. I don't think people to this day understand how much Brie and Nikki Bella grew this audience. Do you understand that their primary audience now was, like, young girls? Where do you think that fucking came from? Honestly. Brie and Nikki Bella became mainstream stars. Like, literally, like, people worship Brie and Nikki Bella. Like, it became, like, a whole cult of personality thing that the rest of us watching the shows were like, huh, I wonder why they're pushing that so much. Because they're everything. Uh, the match bombs hard. The crowd starts chanting for each of the announcers. And then Zack Ryder, who I guess people still liked at this point. This wasn't a particularly good match, but it wasn't like bad enough that we should have gone to there. And they do pop for Natalia's win. Like they're into Natalia. Sure. Natty wins in five minutes with the sharpshooter. Perfectly fine. Uh, we go backstage where we see Ryback bullying some dude from catering. He pours cold soup all over him. I kind of liked this Ryback bully character. Yeah. This it's had potential. Ba- it's basically the Seamus babyface character, except they finally realized it's a heel. 
the, I mean, the mistake they made was like putting him with Heyman and having him feud with Punk. He wasn't ready for that. No, that was dumb. What they should have done is just have him like go back to killing jobbers and been like bully Ryback, yeah. the, who murders babies. Like make him a cruiserweight bully. That would have been incredible. He does have a Next match with like Kalisto at some point, right? Like that was that's at Russell, yeah, that's at the WrestleMania in Dallas. Yeah, that's exactly what he should have been doing. Next up, we got the no disqualification match between Brock Lesnar and CM Punk. Um, Lesnar mauls Punk right off the bell, but he manages to weather the storm and knock Brock down to the floor with a suicide dive. This is the exact same opening sequence as the Cody Brock match from this year. Sure is. Um, Punk tries to use the steps, but Lesnar knocks him over with a shoulder block, which I'm pretty sure is also a spot that happened in the Cody Brock match. This is clearly the template for that one, as this well as the same match. Yeah. <laughs> Punk rams Brock into the ring post and he blades. Punk follows up with a diving clothesline and then another one off the announce table. Brock recovers. He throws Punk over the announce table and then hits some huge belly-to-belly suplexes on the floor. Uh, yeah, this is like, I swear Cody watched that this match and proceeded to have the same one against Brock. Yeah, they just had to figure out a finish because Cody's actually winning his. <laughs> Cody's actually legitimate and got to win, yeah. Uh, back in the ring, Punk goes after Lesnar's legs, but he gets cut off. Lesnar wears him down for a while. Punk makes a comeback, manages to stun Lesnar, and then hits him with a knee from the top rope that finally knocks him to the floor. Punk hits a really ugly elbow drop. Like, in contrast to how Randy Savage would just, like, float down onto his opponent, Punk just, like, ugly falls on his ass as he's trying to do this. It's funny because, like, you sometimes forget that some people are way more athletic than other people. And CM Punk is not a natural athlete. It's just not athletic, yeah. But, like, so, like, he's trying to do this Randy shit. And you forget that Randy Savage is one of the greatest athletes who ever wrestled. Yeah, Randy Savage was a professional baseball player. He was a real athlete. So, like, yeah, he, he what he did gracefully, Punk is just kind of throwing his carcass at the mat. Punk levels Lesnar with a roundhouse kick, goes for the GTS, but Brock counters into the Kumara. Punk manages to counter into a cross arm breaker, then transitions into a triangle choke. CM Punk grounded and pounding Brock Lesnar, one a bunch of bullshit. This match is, I think, very clearly since the com- since Lesnar's comeback is the most like 50-50 any of Lesnar's matches yeah. have been, which is weird, right? <laughs> It makes for an incredible match, but, like, he takes all of Punk's offense. Brock picks him up and power bombs him, but Punk holds on to the choke. So Brock does it a second time, and he finally gets out. Um, Brock gets a chair, but Punk cut him off with a low blow. Punk uses the chair on Lesnar until Heyman grabs it away from him. Brock gets Punk up for the F5, but Punk grabs Heyman's tie, which that's a great spot. Yep. Lesnar just screaming, let go of him, Paul. And Paul's like, I can't. He's got my tie. Yeah. Um, Brock. uh, Punk slips out. 
hits the GTS, but Heyman jumps in and breaks up the pin. Brock goes for the F5, Punk counters with the DDT, gets Lesnar in the Anaconda device. Heyman goes to jump in the ring again, but Punk cuts him off. Brock nails Punk with the chair. He hits an F5 on the chair and pins Punk. What a battle. Great match. This There are two things that are true about this match at the same time. One, this might be the best match of both of these guys' careers, just purely in ring, oh, um, which boy. is high, high, high praise. I'm not I'm not 100% sure about that opinion, but it is absolutely incredible. Yeah. It's and up two, there. I probably probably like the Cena. The couple of the Cena matches for, are my favorites from Punk, but this is one of his best. Um. The other thing is, though, this is probably a shitty use of Lesnar and makes him look like an asshole a little bit because literally Punk obviously had him beaten twice if Heyman hadn't interfered. That's the amazing thing. And then at WrestleMania, he gets to break the streak clean as a whistle. Yeah, I think after this is when they realize, like, shit, we've made Brock Lesnar just another guy. We've got to have him do something. Yeah, he lost two of his first three matches. And then his only wins were him and helped him. It's just like they're not booking him at all like a monster. So instead, he goes to WrestleMania and just womps Undertaker's fucking yeah. ass uncontested and wins clean. Demolishes the Undertaker and pins him clean in the middle of the ring. Which I still don't think was the right way to break the streak, but it doesn't fucking matter because if the goal was to bring back the yeah. Lesnar. He's still over today, and he would not yeah. have been had they not done that. We'll see next year just wild difference between where he is here and where he is a year from now after he's beat Undertaker. Yeah. I mean, literally like we're 10 years on and he's only just now starting to like dial it down and not be over anymore. Like this is the end now, 10 years on. But he's still so big that like him putting Cody over clean and shaking his hand, like it was leveling Cody up. Oh yeah. Cause literally like, We've only just now re- reached a point where somebody's bigger than Brock Lesnar, and it took 10 years, and it's Roman. And so, like, Cody beating Brock to get into the next tier down was a big deal. Next up, inexplicably before the main event, we've got Dolph Ziggler and Caitlin versus Big E and AJ Lee. What the fuck is this doing going on so late in the show? This I, feels like the opener. I have no idea. I, I can tell you right now that no one in the building wanted to see this match and that no No one one in my house did. (laughs) I don't even think the people in the ring wanted to be there. Four months ago, Dolph Ziggler was on top of the world. Six months ago, AJ Lee was the hottest thing in the company. And six months ago, Big E Langston was the hottest up-and-coming prospect they had. And And Caitlin existed. Yeah, Caitlin was also here. (laughs) <laughs> i liked caitlin i actually really dug her she and aj lee keep this women's division on life support Did, until Paige comes to rescue it that was the one good women's feud for so long and the feud last felt like it lasted like five years oh, even yeah. though i'm sure it was like eight months so yeah back it up to wrestlemania the night after wrestlemania dolph cashed in money in the bank on del rio and got just a ridiculous pop. Like, one of the loudest reactions of all time. Like, and honestly, that, yeah, the night after WrestleMania thing, like, it had started before that, but that's what cemented it. Like, that, yeah. that you're going to do something special on that show. 
And then they just didn't seem to know what to do with him because the biggest mistake was they kept him heel when he obviously a baby face at that point. Oh, they just uh, they should have immediately broken AJ and Big E away from him. Yeah. And like have had them, them turn feud. on him. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So he he kept feuding with Del Rio, with Del Rio as the babyface, but uh, Dolph got a concussion and he was out for a while, and then they just had him drop the belt to Del Rio at the Payback pay-per-view, and it seemed like that was setting up a big chase, but instead they spun it off into Ziggler against AJ and Big E, and uh, Dolph doesn't see the title again for years. That's the problem, is that when he got that concussion, it basically ruined everything. And, like, fucking Dolph Ziggler snake bit, man. Like, that that yeah. could have been his moment, but there it is. When Dolph does his ten elbow spot Big E, Lawler says that'll do anyone in. Lawler should know, since that's what gave him a heart attack. Is it really? He said... He asked his dad, like he said, he could, like he said, he thought that that was probably what did it because he had just wrestled Ziggler and he remembered his Ziggler after Ziggler dropped like two or three of those elbows. He was like, "Holy shit, this is a lot." And he asked his doctor about it. his doctor was like, "Yeah, that could knock your heart out of rhythm. I could see that." Jesus Christ, he should have put that over on commentary, being like, "That's the move that gave me a heart attack. It yeah. could take anyone out." I mean, that's what he's alluding to, but he didn't come out and say it. I also kind of want to mention here, so, like, the AJ Lee and Biggie Langston thing makes no sense to me. Um, the idea of them is that they're platonic friends. They're, they're friends. the only They're the yeah. only friends in the history of the world. Because AJ Lee's thing is that she seduces everyone, but not Biggie. Hmm. He's just a friend. That's us. Yeah, why, why, why is Biggie only a friend? They basically set Biggie up as, like, a gay enforcer. And I, I love that idea, but that's not where we're going. Uh, this entire thing was why didn't they make it romantic between Big E and AJ? I don't Is think you want were my they answer done to do- that. Were they done doing that because she was with Punk at this point? They didn't want to do those kinds of storylines with her anymore? I don't really think they cared about that. Maybe they just thought that whole thing was played out. I don't really know. Sure. Maybe she was like had requested not to be in random romance storylines where she That's- had to play the crazy girlfriend. <laughs> Feasible after she had done it five times, yeah. But in that case, it's just weird to give her a guy to wrestle and just be like, no, platonic. All right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I don't imagine these two would have very much in common. No, and it never worked because they had no chemistry together. Oh, and Biggie dear. is just kind of standing around. They don't let him talk for like the whole first nine months he's there. And then when he starts talking, he starts doing the Southern Preacher routine. Like, it's like somebody backstage, let's just spitball and say it's Michael Hayes. It's just like, hey, you know who got over really yeah. big and is also black? Like, Reverend Devon. Let's do that. What if we call, what if, what if he was Bearcat Biggie? Somebody must have pitched that. Bearcat E. Buck Johnson. Buck Johnson. <laughs> Sugar Bear Ewing. The Big Cat. Big Cat Langston. I kind of wish they brought back Ahmed Johnson and had a feud between Big T and Big E. That's right. And then they could have teamed together and been Big E T. 
BET. Yeah, BET. Jesus. Oh, my God. Thank God no one ever said that to Michael Hayes. Holy shit. Miz once again. Oh, uh, Dolph hit the zigzag on Big E in five minutes. Nobody fucking cares. (laughs) Uh, Backstage, Miz once again gets interrupted by Fandango, who he punches out. Yep. And then he does like the little pointing thing, which, again, is just so cringy at this point. All right, main event time. The WWE Championship, John Cena defends against Daniel Bryan. Special guest referee, the game, Triple H. Um, long, like, ent- long video package and then long entrances here. Uh, worth noting, uh, Cena tore his what? Like, triceps um, or something? I can't remember. I don't remember if this is a bursa sack or I think maybe he had elbow chips here and he needed. Or was that the year before? I think the year before he had the elbow chips. Yeah, this is the one where he had the giant fucking swollen thing on his yeah. arm. Somebody else has this right now and I can't think of who it is. I can't think of who it is. Somebody else has their elbow all swollen up right now. I can't even remember if it's in WWE or AEW. Oh, you're right. I but, um. I think it was somebody yeah. who was at SummerSlam. Yeah, huh. can't think of who it is. But, nah. yeah, like, his elbow is literally swarm, swollen up. It's got, like, a knot in it the size of a baseball. It's crazy. And so, like, he's got it underneath. But, like, I don't even think that they talk about that on TV coming in. And so, like... I think he, th- he, he, did, he did mention it in one of his promos. Okay. Because at one point he goes over and talks to the doctor about it. And I'm like, why are you doing that? No one knows that you have this injury. Though it works for this match. Because John Cena is not coming in 100%. That adds to this. He's the most vulnerable he could be. You believe Brian could beat him. You can tell he can't straighten his arm out. Yeah. I want you guys (laughs) to remember. He literally can't do it. Steve's going to mention a couple of botches in this match. And I think all of them are because he has trouble picking up Daniel Bryan, like deadlifting him because he just can't maybe. move that arm. What's Daniel, Daniel Bryan, 180 pounds, maybe. Yeah. It's not that he can't pick him up. It's that he doesn't have yeah. the flexibility to move him that way. It's having to do it with one arm. Um, so they start out, and it seems like Cena is trying to prove he can out-wrestle Daniel Bryan. He's taking him down, putting him in headlocks, working him over on the mat. Which is a bad plan, because Bryan whoops his fucking ass yeah, on the mat. Not going to work. Um, I notice Triple H is a very good referee. He's excellent. The best yeah. thing that you can do as a referee, and something that almost nobody can do, is that he you never notice him unless you need to. He's yeah. Triple H. He's gigantic. And yet he fades into the background. Yeah. Uh, Brian makes a comeback. It really feels like they were just like, okay, let's kind of circle the runway for the first 10 minutes, and then we're going to kick into gear. Again, I'm going to pitch that this is a King's Road-style match. Yeah. Because that's exactly what you do in one of those matches. Like, it doesn't kick into real gear once you've settled in on what's the method I'm going to use to try to win this match. Is his elbow bad? Am I going for the neck? (laughs) 
and then New, New Japan is in King's Road, but like Okada's title matches are like this too. Yeah. Where they kind of just run the, the first 10, like they always have to go 35 minutes. So the first 10 minutes are just kind of like, let's do some holds and kind of feel each other out and roll around a little bit. Nothing real serious is going to happen. Yeah. And the story of that is that Okada has 35 ways to beat you and he's just cycling through which one he thinks is going to work. Uh, Cena cuts Brian off. He goes for the five-uncle shuffle, but Brian sits up and kicks him in the head. They both block each other's signature submissions, and then Cena hits the blue thunder bomb in the five-knuckle shuffle. They do this thing where, like, Cena, when he's going to hit it at first, gets such a negative reaction from the crowd that he hesitates. Yeah. And, like, I can't tell if that's because he's selling that, like, he's not happy that the crowd's so against him, or if he's selling that he really doesn't want to hurt Brian. Like... He's like wrestling with this thing inside himself where he's like, I really want to put over like the next generation and help this kid, but I've got to whoop his ass to retain my title. And I'm not sure, you know, see, he also does this funny thing where when the crowd is booing, he's like, well, he like points around. He's like, wait, are you booing him? Or are you booing me? <laughs> uh, Cena goes for the AA, but Brian lands on his feet and he hits a missile drop kick. Brian puts Cena in the STF and Cena manages to get to the ropes. Brian then busts out rolling German suplexes. But what I loved was that he did a, he bridged into a pin after each of them, which I think is way better because it's even more of a wear down move that way that they have to expend energy kicking out each time. Yeah. The idea that you do like eight of these in a row and after any of them, it could be a pinfall because you're just so tired after the end. That's a great idea. He goes for the yes lock. Cena manages to lift him up off the mat to AA him, but Brian gets him in a guillotine choke instead. This is great because the other way he gets at it, he slips his head underneath like the grip, which is a genius counter to that hold that I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do. Yeah. Um, Cena gets out and then he just pops up and hits the AA, but Brian kicks out. So when you Everybody saw this, thought that was the finish. Let's be yeah. clear. Let's re- let's rewind back to La, when you and I LOL, first watched this Cena show. wins. Yeah. Did, did, did you, you think, think Daniel Bryan was winning here? Not even for a fucking second, no. I, it, here's the thing. I, it was obvious Cena was hurt and needed time off, but I thought I just thought it was going to be an Orton Money in the Bank cash in. And I think there had been like a rumor that week that he was going to cash in or something like that. Like they. Every single time one of these guys was doing a promo, Orton would just come out and hold up the briefcase. So, like, they had pretty heavily foreshadowed yes. this was going to happen. So, like, I just thought, yeah, they were going to have a hell of a match. Cena would retain, and then out would come Orton, win the belt, and then we'd be on to Cena-Orton times yeah. 1,000. Um, it never – but also, you have to remember, too, like, J- Daniel Bryan did not – his only finisher at the time was the yes lock. He did not have any other way to win, and John Cena did not tap out. As far as I'm aware, he's tapped out like twice in his entire career. The only time I ever remember him tapping out was to Kurt Angle. Yeah, and like they mentioned that on the way in, it just being like, I never tap out, dude. Like, you're not going to get me with that. And he doesn't. That's the story of the match. They fight on the top rope. Cena keeps knocking Brian off. Brian keeps popping back up. Brian throws Cena off and hits the diving headbutt. Um, Cena comes back. He hits the diving leg drop. 
Cena sets up to AA Brian off the top, but Brian fights out and he goes for a super Frankensteiner, but Cena blocks it, like, you know, hooks his arms with his legs and does a Styles clash off the top rope. Okay, Except here's the thing. He doesn't do it right and he drops him right on his head. I think that he couldn't get a grip on him because of the arm. So, like, Probably. when he goes to, like, jump, he doesn't have him locked. So, instead, he, yeah. Cena just jumps down to his feet so that he doesn't paralyze Brian. Yeah, I don't know if Brian – I don't know. He may, Yeah, Brian's head may not have actually hit the mat here. But if it did, this would have been horrifically dangerous. No, he – luckily, Brian knows how to take the Styles Clash. So, he had already tucked under. So, Cena yeah. basically drops down. So, it just down. kind of goes face first to the mat, which still this, hurts, but you'll be okay. This is the exact counter, basically, that, like, Jericho did with Hoovy into, like, the Lion Tamer in WCW. Yeah. And then, like, Cena, who's great at improv, just drags him down and, like, puts him in the SDF. Cena immediately gets in the STF. Brian reverses into the yes lock, and Cena makes the ropes. I mean, John Cena can't beat Daniel Bryan. Bryan's too fucking good. That's the okay. So the the twin stories of this match is that Brian is never going to make Cena tap out. It's just not going to happen. Won't and work. Cena can't beat Brian because he's too fucking good, and he can't even. At this point, Cena hasn't even yep. gotten any good hits on Brian. <laughs> He got him with the, he did get him with the AA, but Brian kicked out of it. And, yeah. you know, he had warmed it. He hadn't set it up. He hadn't done the five moves of doom. Like, yeah. it was just a desperation. And Brian is just coming at him from all angles, kicking yeah. him in his bad elbow, hitting him from off the top. Like, Cena's just taking a beating here. And at this point in the match, it's not clear what either one of these guys has left in the take in order to win this match. Cena hits a huge clothesline and both guys are down. Now my instinct is I immediately turn and look at the entryway because I think Orton is about to come out to cash in. But that the concept of cash in in mid-match hasn't been invented yet. Instead, we are going to get the thesis statement to my this is a King's Road match as they stand in the middle and start slapping each other in the face as hard as they can. Yeah, that is 100% some Japanese bullshit. But I loved it. First of all, that means that, like, Br- Cena, Cena has Brian showed respect. respect. Yeah. yeah. He believe, now he believes Cena is a real wrestler, and Brian believes Cena is fit to be his brother-in-law. Like, this is, like, the story of two men falling in love with each other in the middle of the ring. This is fantastic. And, like, they beat the shit out of each other in a way that I've never seen Cena do with another guy during a match. I think this is all Cena's ever wanted, is somebody to, like, exchange elbows with him. <laughs> what about him and Payment Punk never did this? No, because this isn't Punk's shit. Punk can't strike for shit. <laughs> yeah, good point. Punk's not Despite an all-Japan guy. Such a disaster. He's yeah. a New Japan guy. No, he's he was like a Pro Wrestling Zero One. G- CM Punk is a junior heavyweight guy. Like, he might be heavyweight because he's fat, but, like, he's not actually... He never wrestled the King's Road style. That was Joe's thing. So, when he included in the pipe bomb that he was going to go defend the title of New Japan Pro, and you think he was just virtue signaling for the cheap pop? I don't think they ever fucking wanted him. Of course he was virtue signaling for the cheap pop. Like, he he was in Japan. He met Hashimoto. He was was never going to go to New Japan. New Japan doesn't care about him. There are some guys who are such big marks for Japan that they genuinely would have left the company just for the opportunity to do that. Do I believe Daniel Bryan might have done that if he was in better health? Sure. John Moxley did do that. Yeah. 
<laughs> John Moxley didn't leave to go to AEW. He left to go to New Japan. Uh, Brian tries to do the backflip spot, but Cena catches him. Tries to do a spine buster, but Brian gets him with a DDT. I don't. Just feels like John Cena can't beat him at this point. I also think that was supposed to be like an AA, but he just couldn't yeah, catch him right because he couldn't. Him over. I don't yeah. think he could get his arm up for it. Uh, Brian comes off the top. Cena catches him, but Brian rolls him into a small package. Brian hits a big kick, follows up with the flying knee for the pin. Uh, I mean, this was just stunning because he'd never done this move before. So. This is not a thing that happens in WWE matches. You don't just break out a brand new move to win. This is, of course, uh, you know, Stone of the King's Road, all Japan style, yes. right? That you have the to idea. invent a new move. Yeah. You can't break through. You can't beat your greatest rival. You can't win the biggest match with the moves that everyone knows you're going to do. Everyone studies them. They know you're going to try to do them. They're not enough. If you want to become a truly next-level star, you've got to break out a brand-new hold no one's ever seen on the biggest stage, and that's how you'll win. That's what the Burning Hammer was. It's what the Tiger Driver was. That's what the Emerald Flosion was. All of it. That's the context that all that King's Road is built on. And they, he does it here. They literally do it here. I could not be more. And not only that, it's that fucking – it's Kenta's finisher. He had to go to yeah. sleep. This is the Bosaiku knee kick. He fucking, this could not be more. I bet you fucking Cena was the one who's like, hey, can you do Kenta's knee? I fucking love that move. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, have they ever given this move a name? No, they just call it like yeah. the running knee or whatever. Like, yeah. cause they're not going to call it the Bosaiku knee is. kick. Yeah. <laughs> Could like fucking could you steal more from Kenta honestly? And then when they came to the promotion, they buried him. Like, come on, man. Guy just can't catch a break. Sheesh. But no, when he hits this move, there's silence because no one's ever seen it before. They don't yeah. know what it's it is. Just, nobody knows what it is. It, it looks impressive. You would never think that was the finish. And then one, two, three happens, and the crowd explodes in shock. Yeah. Like oh, it. it did he? And they won that way. I'm I'm thrilled that he won that way because like the story of the match is very clearly that he can't win with anything that John Cena's ever seen before. Yeah. And like it's not like he can do like a like a power bomb or some shit. He's Daniel Bryan. He's got to come up with a finish he can do on anybody. And this is a great one. Uh, Cena shakes Bryan's hand. He thanks Triple H and he takes off. Triple H reminds Brian to work to the hard camera, which I really loved. This is fantastic. He keeps directing Brian, like, go up on the top rope. All right, now pose over here. Yeah. Oh, streamers and confetti start to fall. And then voices hits and Randy Orton comes out. And, like, this whole time, I know what's going to happen. So my eyes are clamped on Triple H. And he's doing such a good job of just staying out of the way. There's but no, he doesn't leave. He stays there. There's no way, though, that in anyone's mind what's going to happen is going to happen. I remember at the time, it was the most shocking thing in the world. <laughs> in retrospect, we should not have been surprised. But, like, he's just there, and your eyes are locked on Brian and Orton. Orton comes down to the ring and holds up the briefcase just like he has a hundred times before, and then he goes to leave, but then he stops. 
and he looks back and you think he's looking at Brian, but he's looking at Triple H. And Triple H nails Brian with the pedigree. And like, there's a moment he does that, and the fans are just like, "Oh!" And then Orton gets in the ring, and like, he hands the briefcase to Triple H, and only then does it seem like it dawns on the yeah. fans what's about then to happen. Then we realize like the trap has been sprung. This was all planned to put the belt on Orton. And I love that aspect of the storyline that like, sure, it doesn't make sense that John Cena is an underdog anti-authority guy. But the idea that like Triple H had to spring this trap in order to get the belt off of one of these two, it was yeah, it didn't sure matter which this one. Is, this is Plan B that whoever wins, Brian's gonna that Orton's gonna take him out. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like if it had been Cena, he probably would have done the exact same shit. Same thing Triple H pulled two years ago when he had his buddy Nash Cone and powerbomb CM Punk. Well, the fabulous thing is that Triple H does this again. Like that's the that's the fabulous thing. He does this twice and we fall for it both times. Yeah. Orton comes in, he rolls Brian over and pins him for the one, two, three. Like what a perfect, perfect twist. I it, just perfect the way this sets up the fall. Because you could spend all fall with Daniel Bryan trying to get his shot at Randy Orton and have to jump through 10 million hoops that Triple H puts in front of him before he can finally get his title match by winning the Royal Rumble. This is one of the greatest endings to a pay-per-view in history, in my money. Um, it's As you're right, it sets that up. It also sets up that John Cena is not required to get a title shot again. So you can just remove yeah. him from the title picture. Because, like, sorry, bud, someone won the belt and then another person won the belt. It's not your turn anymore. Um, it, it sets that up. But mostly what it sets up is heel Triple H will become the hottest thing in the yeah. world. And then they the add Stephanie to it. a stroke of genius, yeah. It's funny because people... I, I looked at the time what people said about the authority and they hated it. They thought it was too went on too long and it was so boring, blah, 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 blah. The authority is one of the best things they've ever done. It is the hottest heel thing this promotion has ever seen. Yeah, this is just so perfect. They proceed to totally screw it up, I would say. Yes. But uh, I can't fault that this moment is perfectly executed. If you jump from this moment all the way across to like survivor series and then take it from there. Everything's perfect in the world. It's just the next couple months. They've really pissed it away. Things get really weird when they try to co-op the yes movement, the big show and have big show <laughs> broke ass crying, big show having to wrestle, getting to wrestle Randy Orton after, after he joined the authority because he was going to go broke and giants die young. That was a really compelling promo, actually. Was actually, I couldn't believe it there. Yeah, I'm a giant. I'm gonna die by fifty. I need money for my kids. Uh, it is a recurring trope in Big Show's character that he's an untrustworthy piece of shit. I also, yeah, I love the idea that like Big Show is constantly like, I don't give a fuck. I'll turn on a dime. I need twenty bucks. Give me twenty bucks. I'll betray somebody for you. Who cares? He's done it a million times. Yes, he uh, has. Overall, I think this is one of the best Summer Slams ever. Has to be. This is maybe the one that I remember the most fondly. Like, O2 was like the legendary perfect pay-per-view. But I just, I wasn't expecting anything from the show coming into it. And I have such fond memories of like, 
the night Daniel Bryan got put over clean by John Cena. It almost doesn't feel real. Yeah. Um, just three absolutely killer matches on top of the card here. Absolutely. Like, I absolutely love this show. Like, some parts in it that I don't love, but really, aside from the Ring of Fire match, I was happy with everything. All right. Before we get out of here, have you got a trivia question for me? Oh, baby, it's time to stump Steve. All right, so we've been talking a lot about how John Cena is a really great wrestler, uh, deserving of praise. And speaking of that praise, I went to cagematch.com, and I'm looking at John Cena's top-ranked matches according to the users of cagematch.com. And Mm. eight matches have received a score of at least nine out of ten or higher. Oh, God. How many of those matches can you name? If you get five of them, we're going to call it a victory. Okay, and they're all John Cena matches. All John Cena matches. Cena versus CM. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to say they all take place between 2011 and 2017. (laughs) The only years John Cena was a good wrestler. Basically. Okay, John Cena versus CM Punk, Money in the Bank 2011. That's number one. John Cena, CM Punk from Raw in, uh, I don't know, date, but like February or March 2013. February 25th. That's number two. Yeah. A 9.6 and a 9.3. John Cena versus CM Punk from Night of Champions 2012. That just barely misses the list. It's number 12 with an 8.9. Mm, okay. This Daniel Bryan match. Number four, 9.2. Okay. Um, John Cena versus Brock Lesnar from SummerSlam the year after this. Um, does not make the top 20. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Really? Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't. I would have thought, I would have thought everybody would have loved watching Brock Lesnar whoop his ass. You would have thought so, but no, that's not even the high, highest ranked, uh, Brock Lesnar, John Cena match. Oh, um, Extreme Rules 2012. Yep, that one has an 8.8. Okay. That's in the top 10. All right, so you got three out of eight. Four out of eight. Right, right, right. No, four out of nine. Uh, there's there's eight total. Uh, you have the two CM Punk matches and the Dan O'Brien match. You got three. Uh, and, uh, okay. All right. Other good John Cena matches from this era. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what were his really good U.S. title matches. John Cena versus Sami Zayn. Not on here. Nope. I love that match. One of these is a Raw match. It may have been the U.S. title match. I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember what the really good matches he had in that run were. The most popular year that you're missing is 2015. Three of these matches you haven't named are from 2015. So that would have been that year. Yeah. Uh, Any of the John Cena Rusev matches? Oh, John versus Seth Rollins from SummerSlam. That match does not make it, no. John Cena versus Seth Rollins Raw. Nope, that does not make. You said it on Raw. Are there any John Cena versus Seth Rollins matches on here? 
technic sort of, but not quite. Okay. Uh, do they have the John Cena, the Seth Rollins gauntlet match? No, they do not. You are so that close to number three that. right now. <laughs> oh, John Cena's third best match involves Seth Rollins. It does. What am I missing here? Is it a shield tag match? It isn't. I'll, I'll tell you John it's a triple threat. Oh, John Cena versus Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar. There it is. 9.29. So oh, you have the top four out. right now. Uh, is there any John Cena versus Rusev? No, there is not. So for the remaining okay. four, uh, one Surprising. of the, number five is from 2005. So I was actually oh, wrong. God. That one is in here. Uh, one is from 2017, and the last two are from 2015. Uh, is the 2005 match JBL from Judgment Day? The I Quit match, correct. 9.1. Yeah. Okay. What were the other years? 2017 and two from 2015. What did he do in 27? Oh, AJ Styles. Bang. SummerSlam. At the Royal Rumble, actually. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And But they don't have him against Styles from SummerSlam 2016? Nope, that is number 16. That was an 8.7. Okay. This this one got a 9.08. That was, that was a great match. That was a great uh, Both of those were great. Yeah. Um... John Cena. Okay, 2015. What were his? He wrestled Rusev a bunch of times. Yep. And then he wrestled. Oh, Kevin Owens. Bang. Uh, Kevin Owens beat him. Elimination Chamber. Number eight, 9.01. Okay. And is there another Kevin Owens match too? Uh, not here. Uh, number 14 is Cena versus Owens. Also. People only liked the one beat him for understandable reasons absolutely the last one is one that i believe was just a raw match and i could never have picked this out of a fucking lineup if you gave me a million dollars i want to nope. say it was one of the open challenges john cena versus Zack Ryder. no but it, okay it was just a, it was very similar of who the weirdest people he wrestled in those open challenges were. I want to be I, clear. I you, the Sami Zayn match was awesome. Yes, it was. Uh, this one was right next to the Sami Zayn match because this person and Sami Zayn had had a classic match together and got called up together. I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm, I'm already calling this a win if you want to give up and find out who it is. Is it John Cena versus Neville? No, it is not. God, who did John Sami Zayn have a classic match with? I thought was it Neville? Isn't that who he beat for the NXT title? Oh, he had a classic match with Neville, too. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, who is it? Cesaro. Oh, yeah. Okay, he had a bunch of really good matches with Cesaro. Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. And then to round out the top ten, John Cena versus Umaga and Cena versus Michaels on Raw. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Cena versus Michaels is too low. The one that I think is too low... The Edge versus John Cena last man standing match, which I think yeah. is one of the greatest matches of all time, is only number 19. Yeah. doesn't even register. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're all calling right. that a that win, so I'm one versus four against Steve. 
Oh, man. All right. So, a wrap for SummerSlam uh, 2013. Next time, we're going to cover the next year, SummerSlam 2014. Um, Brock Lesnar absolutely demolishes John Cena in a way that no one ever has before to win the WWE title. Can't wait to watch this. There's a ton of stuff on this show, a ton of really exciting stuff, but all of it's overwhelmed by the match that has the most heat coming into this show, the best story coming into the show, and arguably steals the show, Stephanie McMahon versus Brie fucking Bella. That's it. Um, so yeah. Love all that and more next time on Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.